For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, White Sox fans. Guess what? It is podcast number three of the Believe in White Sox podcast. And believe it or not, you're probably not going to believe it, but believe it or not, this is the hottest and fastest growing White Sox podcast out there. Take my word for it. I would not lie to you. With me again, probably the guy pulling in all the big numbers but leading <laughs> clearly to the big spike in listenership we have on believe in white Sox, the podcast it's my partner tommy barbie thank you for joining me again tommy thank you for having me glad to be on uh the good news uh in addition to our burgeoning listenership tommy is the white Sox are um well they're good and um Based on the fact that the four teams in the division they're competing with aren't very good, they can almost, at this point, it seems like almost back or sidestep their way into a stranglehold on the division. Uh, we had a little pause yesterday with the sort of sneak rain out. Uh, we're beginning these, as we're recording tonight here, beginning a series against the Detroit Tigers, another of the really, really difficult competition the White Sox face on a routine basis in the AL Central. <laughs> Yep. Um, so we had a chance to pause a little bit and think about where we're at in the season, passing the one-third mark. Um, give me your general thoughts about uh, where the Sox stand and, and, and how the rest of the season looks like to you. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to feel good about the White Sox and, and their chances right now. I mean, um, they even with the injuries that they've sustained so far this year, they really haven't had a huge challenge dealing with even some of the better teams in, in the league. Um, yes. Skeptics will look at how they performed against angels, Yankees, and even the most recent series against the Cleveland isn't ideal, but those to me were kind of really good benchmarks where you're looking at a White Sox team that wasn't really firing on all cylinders and still made it really hard on all of those teams in each of the series. And even the Yankees series, I don't think they ever looked overmatched. Right. Let's take a snapshot of where the White Sox are. This is probably right to the moment, including some day game results. But the White Sox right now, 33-22 as we are recording here, two and a half games up. In first place they have a magic number of 106 tommy magic number very nice uh the uh run differential uh has consistently now been second behind an nl west team it was the padres after the padres decided to completely blow a series against the north siders uh the top run run differential team in baseball is the dodgers now dodgers are right behind yeah. them uh, their projected record based on the run differential, 106 wins. And what I think is interesting about the 106 wins, uh, which they're not going to get, and I'll tell you why in a second, is the fact that no other, no other AL Central team has a positive run differential. So if we're just like a run differential, which, okay, big deal, run differential, but let's just use that as a thumbnail. The rest of the division's under 500, and the yeah. White Sox are going to be winning the division by 27 games projected. Um, now, the reason why they're not going to win 106 games and they're not going to win by that, among many reasons, is the fact that uh, the White Sox have 33 wins and the run differential will project them at 36. Uh, again, you could look at a lot of factors there, luck. Uh, you could look at the skill of the manager. Uh, there are a lot of weird between the lines uh, uh, factors there, but the, the truth is the White Sox are underperforming in spite of the fact that they are overcoming a lot of injuries, as you already pointed out. They are underperforming what they should be doing uh, to a pretty significant degree already. So chances of them somehow waking up and getting and fulfilling that full run to differential uh, record is unlikely. 
but it's still very promising when you look at the fact that nobody else in the AL Central is really there's Comes nobody getting cheated. They're no. not getting cheated out yeah. of any wins in the Central. Yeah, and I mean it it is interesting thinking about it that way because um, you know, the the mantra has been, oh, look at the White Sox record, look at the White Sox record. And you know, I I thought it's been kind of interesting that people have started comparing the current record to where the White Sox were last year. And the record was actually better for the team last year, even though they didn't have a lot of the pieces that they had to work with this year. Um, You know, there are many, many theories that one can have on the reasons why that is, but it's true that this team is still somewhat underperforming as weird as it is to say, based on where they could be as, as a roster. Yeah, I mean, it's great to talk about the fact that the White Sox have done what they've done, seemingly lacking depth. We 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 find that out on a daily basis. Yes. Given the fact that just today, Gavin Sheets has called up, presumably if he's going to play at all, and he may not, to fill in in the outfield, probably not at first base, um, potentially a little bit of time at first base. Yet another guy who's not even an outfielder who's being you know tapped in for death. Now you could say, oh my God, who could have figured that the White Sox were going to have like 16 injured outfielders this year? Well, I mean, the job of management is to anticipate, maybe not to that absurd a degree, but to anticipate, hey, maybe we should have a couple real players just that we can tap into is not like Brian Goodwin. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, bless him, even Billy Hamilton or Adam Eaton as a guy that you're <laughs> expecting to come right in and bat second a lot of days right. in your lineup. Um so it's great to sort of look at it like, okay, uh, they're t- look, just look where they're coming from. Look at the fact they didn't have their t- two key players virtually all year, and they may not have them basically for the entire season. And that's mm-hmm. great if we're if we're playing some you know weird like card game or some some you know game where we're just looking at numbers on a piece of paper. That's great to say, wow, they really had an incredible year given all the setbacks. But you know the truth is we're seeing it with Cleveland. Uh, where they're they're getting some key injuries, some uh, flood of key injuries. Now maybe they don't line up with Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. Uh, but I mean, it still I, adds up. Got to figure over the course yeah. of the season, everything's going to pretty much even out. The White Sox aren't suddenly going to become the infirmary of the American League, and everybody else is going to be like, "Sorry, suckers, you know we're right. we're all healthy and we're going to beat you now." Uh, right. You know it's going to even out, so we can't even use that as too much of a crutch i'm sure cleveland would would like to have all their guys back even if it meant maybe (laughs) our couple guys in the outfield came back yeah no i mean i think it's also for one i'm not entirely surprised that gavin sheets got called up just because of how well he was hitting Mm -hmm. but to me blake rutherford was right there Mm -hmm. and long term that's the guy that i would think the white Sox would want to take a look at to help with the outfield depth and kind of have that answer in the back of their mind sooner rather than later. And it just seemed a little strange to me for that reason. Now, if, you know, to your point, sheets may not even play, so it may not matter, but it was just kind of an interesting choice to me for that reason. Yeah. But it's a nice reward too, for a guy who has really, uh, it's pretty interesting, I guess, Maybe there's some dispute about whether he was in Schaumburg. I thought from the start he was not in the alternate site at all last year, which, which, uh, you know, if was. not, if not, I, I thought that they, they didn't, I thought that was part of the extra chip that he was not there. We didn't hear anything about him. I will say that much. True. That's true. Um, yeah. And, you know, either way, the fact that it's like, okay, dude, Andrew Vaughn's passed you. You know, we're thinking of bringing them up this year. You may not even be in Schaumburg. I guess yeah. we're not really certain. But uh, the fact that, you know, he learned, <laughs> learned a, a position, brand new position. Yes. Was a thing. It's a theme for the, for the White Sox this year. <laughs> hey, any of you, and I know it's an increasing number of White Sox minor leaguers who are listening to the Believe in White Sox podcast because just numbers are, are, are going through the roof, Tommy. Uh, so all of you minor leaguers, I don't think I have to tell you, but I mean, I think what you're going to want to do in the offseason, not to look ahead to that yet. You got to just pick up a new position. You know, if you're third baseman, you might want to pitch. If you're a catcher, maybe center field, because that does seem like the way the White Sox are going. Yeah. And I mean, I really huge kudos to him for, for not only learning the position, mm-hmm. but 
becoming adequate at, mm-hmm. at uh, as a corner outfielder like that's really impressive um that you know usually guys that you hear about that are first baseman types that are usually on the bulkier end like they're they're there is a cement block that can catch the ball if it's within a five foot radius of them but otherwise they don't do anything and, and he's actually done a very good job out there I hate so. to pick on him but he's but you expect him to be like an Aloy Jimenez exactly yeah exactly <laughs> sorry Aloy I'm sorry but you but fall in the net and then you act like you're sort of playing which I get it it's sort of like cute but at a certain point it, you just kind of not really do not. that because no because people are you know they're just dying to type in they're, they're dying to plug you into like the the meme generator and just type in some funny words when you're in the net like this you just you can't do anymore, Loy, if they even let you out there again. But uh, yeah, Gavin has actually played a pretty clean. He's played full yeah. games, so it's not even doing like spot stuff. He's not getting subbed out late uh, for exactly. D. Uh, he sort of had a, I guess, sort of a somewhat lame game in left field, but he only played there once because I think Blake Rutherford is your left is your left fielder. And the fact that Blake mm-hmm. has done so well, you, you name dropped him well, because I think probably for a real significant need, uh, if this was maybe, I don't know, an Adam Eaton injury, not that he hasn't been banged up all year, but right. a guy, um, maybe a Billy Hamilton injury, where you really are going to need to have a guy out there and probably plug him in as soon as tonight. It might have been Blake Rutherford because he's done what they've asked. Uh, he's sort of trying to live up to the hype that Chris Getz has been uh, laying on him for a couple of years yeah. now. And maybe he does not, doesn't have necessarily the home run power that everybody really wants to see from him, but he right. has proven he's got between his speed and some gap power you know, slugging percentage is, is, you know, it's enough. This is a guy who probably did not merit triple uh, a even quite yet, but because no. he lost the season, everybody just sort of automatically got everybody matriculated uh, at one grade this season. And some guys are flourishing there surprisingly. And some guys are, you know, maybe still tread water taking a step back. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one guy, uh, as we were looking over sort of the leaderboards here uh, yesterday during the day off and sort of just assessing, you know, there's a lot of guys where you'd expect, you know, that Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon are going to be on a lot of the pitching leaderboards. Guys like uh, Brayu leading baseball and runs batted in, but the name that consistently came up on the offensive end, and he's just a guy that I think his nature is you, you, people just sleep on him. He's a guy I always consider really the MVP of the team, particularly when he's right, uh, and that's Yohan Moncada. He is on. Yes. He's he's all over the place on the leaderboards, including yes. just his sheer. Uh, war. It's not even all offense. He's he's adding some positive defensive war as well, and it's so heartening to see him flourishing after a year that made us think, oh, geez, you know, what's the effect? Um, and maybe even do you I, do you wonder, you know, is a sophomore a junior slump even? Right. Uh, he had one really strong year, then got sick and had a year that wasn't as bad as people think, but still enough to make you worry because he's still such a young guy. You don't know if his trajectory is five war all-star every season or not. And boy, it, it seems like he's he is quieting any of those concerns. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, Yoan Mankata is is my favorite player to watch on the White Sox. Like by by a long shot, I love Tim Anderson's swagger. But when Yoan Mankata is right, like the swing is is pretty as anything I've seen since Griffey. Like I mean, it, it's just he's the entire package, and. Mm-hmm you're right. He is so unassuming about his play because it doesn't necessarily show up in these gaudy offensive numbers. It's sometimes what he does on defense or what he does on the base paths. And it's just, he is such a complete well-rounded player that I do think in a lot of ways, um, one of the reasons why the White Sox have been doing so well this year has been because of Mankata. And he's the least likely, probably the least likely in this lineup, uh, least likely pop star, least yeah. likely flashy <laughs> pop star. I know. Yep. I like seeing that side of him. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's super goofy, but how can you not love it? That it's like, okay, he's going to just, he's going to sucker punch you with that. That's exactly that's pretty yeah. funny. That's pretty funny. Um, Tommy, uh, we we're talking a little bit beforehand about the sorts of things that may 
concern you in the let's say latter two-thirds of the season Mm -hmm. Uh, but also there's a flip of that to say what are some things that maybe are laying low that should sort of regress to a mean in a real positive way uh james fox on Southside Sox, where we both uh write this is that's sort of our companion site to this burgeoning and super hot uh taking over the baseball world believe in white Sox podcast it's sort of hand in hand and on our site, James had written about Yasmani Grandal uh, talking about how a lot of his numbers are going to, uh, you know, so-called regress positively to a mean because he's not showing the power he should, et cetera. And that might be an answer right there. Uh, guys like yeah. that sort of under hitting, but yet still, you know, playing well enough to, to be in the lineup. But is there something that you're sort of thinking about or looking at that might be uh, a, a, pile, a little surprise under the tree that you know maybe we can't count on 100% or we've even forgotten is there uh, because you know we're just sort of dealing with the day-to-day of the season right now yeah I mean I think the two two areas that I would say are uh, definitely as Monty Grandal and you know really that Southside article piece touches on so much of it you you even and it's surprising to me the people that argue about him taking walks because it's just like if you're walking at that rate you're clearly seeing the ball at oh in a way that nobody should ever be able to see the baseball and if you can see the ball that well you're 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 good i'm not worried about you the hits are gonna come like i know i think part of it is of course the defensive shift that he's facing um but i do think that there is some um some positive regression coming his way um the other i would say is i don't think the bullpen is going to be as rocky as they have been recently and um there have been some positive examples coming from you know guys like foster marshall that have kind of developed reputations of being not even necessarily lights out, but just solid relievers and not having that level of performance this year. I think they're starting to come, come around too. Um, and to me, the only thing that I kind of question is how adept Rick Hahn will be mm-hmm. to kind of solidify this roster. And that's why... Yeah. For me, I start looking at the minor leagues pro- prospects because I I want to see not only how do they fit in with this open window of the White Sox roster as it stands, but how are they going to hype these guys up mm-hmm. if they don't have any intention of keeping them, but they want to package them <laughs> for something else that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, are they going to start showing Blake Rutherford highlights on every White Sox Twitter mm-hmm. feed when they have the opportunity to? Mm-hmm to get as much helium in him because they don't believe in his bat long-term and they want to use him as a piece for something else. Yeah, this is one thing we do not know whether Rick Hahn can do. We don't know if he's, he's going to do it. Exactly. We don't know if he does it well. He's never been in this position. You could argue that last year he was in the position, uh, but that's, you know, listen, last year was a fake year, but okay, let's say that's been his one test so far. And mm-hmm. that didn't, go he didn't want to well. do it I sort of punted yeah. and yeah. uh it's great that he had the big team meeting where he he tapped in everyone and and ricky and everybody spoke and you know i don't know if the speculation was because they were they were sort of the nature of that talk was like were they talking about maybe like dealing for mike clevenger or some somebody who was maybe a little more controversial because you got that feeling of this person might not fit in the clubhouse so let's talk to the team and see what they think obviously nothing materialized and it didn't sound like the players were like no no we don't want um yasiel puig or we don't want clevenger on the team um so that wasn't his excuse for not doing it because it it did seem like that meeting went like hey yeah um you know we're we feel strong in this clubhouse so he punted um, mm-hmm. again, on sort of a, you know, a fake year. And at the time, if I recall, I can't exactly remember, but uh, the, the Sox were riding. I want to say they were riding pretty high. It wasn't a, in a panic mode and they weren't in a slow mode. So they were, they were in a position of strength and maybe he, maybe the same thing's going to happen this year. If they got a five, seven game lead, he might be like, yeah, I don't need anything. 
I mean, that that's why to me it's worth mentioning because, you know, last year they were in a good spot, but I mean, they, it, they clearly needed starting <laughs> pitching, like, like just badly. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I, I, I've said it on Twitter. I don't think I've ever said it officially. It would never shock me if 20 years from now, like it comes out that, um, you know, Ricky was trolling the White Sox brass by like throwing Rodon out there and re- relief <laughs> appearances and all the weird shit that he was doing just to be like, hey, I don't have a starter. This is what I have to do. Uh-huh. Here you go. Because uh-huh. um, I mean, that was such an obvious need. And this year, you feel good about a lot of things, but you know, you're still relying on everything to work out perfectly in over a 162 game season especially like not a shortened season like last year things will never work out perfectly and you know you you have to kind of go into it with worst case scenario what is the roster that we have to move forward with and that may mean another bat to help spell your mean mercedes in case you think that was a short-lived thing um, that may mean another relief pitcher that's a veteran that can help offset some of the youth that they have to make sure that they have someone else that can back up Hendricks so he's not burning out. Just little things here and there that I don't know where Han or the rest of the organization is, because like you said, they've never been here before. It's terrifying, and, and I hate to always feel like we're doing podcasts, you know, so you sort of dwell on the concerns and the negative. That's the nature of this, too. The team's in, in first place. If, if they were in fourth place and they put together uh, three out of four, if they were Detroit just having a good series against right. uh, uh, the Yankees, you'd be like, man, I think they're, they're turning it around. This is, this is great. So, I mean, this is the nature of it. But when you think about the fact, I mean, you didn't even really mention starting pitching as being a need, but anything happens to these guys. Oh, yeah. It, it's, and it's not a free fall because, okay, um, Dallas Keuchel's out for the year, or let's take somebody who's not, you know, Keuchel's probably pitching like a fifth starter right now this year. Let's say mm-hmm. Dylan Cease, maybe somewhere in the middle. He somehow has gone for an extended period or they don't have anything to plug in. Kopech can't no. plug in there in a, in a, in a long-term role. They can't even do a, a, a crochet Kopech combination to ride that through. There is nothing, nothing, nothing in the minor leagues that can be reasonably that, expected to come in and, and that to me is the scariest part like this is this is one of the first years i can remember in recent history that they have absolutely nothing in the minors to rely mm-hmm. on for pitching mm-hmm. so and, yeah you know and the, you know the funny thing is it's like right now the birmingham barons rotation which has been killer Mm-hmm. is really like your Charlotte rotation. And they may play it that way. You may see a Connor Pilkington uh, get a spot start, maybe instead of Lambert again, or right. you know, depending on how everything falls, because those guys have been the horses, the, the Cade McClure's, uh, to some degree, even a Blake a Battenfield, you can imagine being a guy who just mops up a start one day somewhere mm-hmm. in the future. Uh, and even uh, Jason, I call him just Jason B because I really still don't know how to pronounce his, his last name. But I mean, he's made a fast move up the system. And a guy that people didn't even think was a starter is now pitching and pitching well, well in the Birmingham yeah. uh, rotation. So those are the guys. And you, you think one will come out of that, but not yet. I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to jump from double A and some of these guys at a very young age to be someone to plug in. And we heard this, Tommy, before the season even began. Oh, hey, who are the Yankees running out as a fourth or fifth starter? Uh, Tell me who, you know, blank team, you know, has at their third, fourth or fifth starter. And I get it. The White Sox are probably, especially given Carlos Rodon overperforming what we could expect. Dylan Cease overperforming what we could have expected. Uh, Even Dallas Keuchel, knowing that the expectations probably need to be tempered, he might not be uh, undershooting what we would have expected too badly. But again, that's not the, that's like saying, well, who could have anticipated 12 outfield injuries? You're supposed to at least have some card up your sleeve in exactly. every area. I'll even give Rick Hahn a pass that he shouldn't have a 12th outfielder ready to go. He could probably still make some kind of deal to get somebody in, but okay, he shouldn't have just had it in but pocket before the season. But that's the difference too, because, you know, I, I think the difference for the White Sox is that they've never been the organization to show any sign of audacity to make that move. And you're right. Like, you know, they're not, they're not the Yankees. They're not the Dodgers. They can't just go out and buy a free agent or buy a 
huge salary to plug a guy in in a very limited role. But what the Rays do, what a lot of the small market teams do is that they say, okay, let me weed through all of your 4A guys that aren't quite good enough on your major roster, major league roster, but we know fit a specific need that we're looking for as we make this playoff run. And that's what the good, that's what you look for if you're not a team that's willing to spend the money. And the White Sox haven't shown that. And that that's the part where you do kind of have to get a little into them about it because, you know, scouting is great when you can do it in the off season, because you have the luxury of spring training to do extended evaluations on guys. So yes, it's awesome that, you know, Jake lamb is apparently, you know, raking right now and everybody loves Billy Hamilton and that's awesome. And that makes me happy. But like, there's also <laughs> the whole other side of it where it's like, you need guys for a playoff run and you don't have the luxury of trotting them out every day in Arizona and watching them play and develop and see how they fit in and trying to make decisions based on that. And that's where the Sox haven't shown it yet. That doesn't mean they can't do it. They just haven't shown it. It's, and it's great that these guys, like even Jake Lamb, seems like he's fulfilling whatever um, confidence was put in him in the role yeah. that he is supposed to play. But why are the names we're discussing, Jake Lamb cut by whoever, <laughs> Billy Hampton cut early in spring by Cleveland, yes. These are the guys we're talking about as sort of the 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 crucial even dudes. even Brian Goodwin, who hasn't made his way to the roster yet, got cut by the Pirates. I mean, you have to be in pretty bad shape <laughs> to be cut by the Pirates. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. Um, and you know, I get it that just because you've earmarked your your five starters from around the league who you might feel are caught in between the four, a types of guys you mm -hmm. mentioned. And you know, the, the white Sox better have that. Of course, five, 10 guys. Hey, if they're in the waiver wire, we're grabbing them. And they, they did grab, they grabbed Emilio Vargas in the, in the off season um, it, way in the past, Rick Hahn, one of his, I think first significant moves and one of the great ones we can get credit for Jose Quintana. Jose Quintana. The guy that he yeah. snagged. So we know they yeah. can do it, but at some point you got to think, okay, was Jose Quintana just dumb luck. And right. when you haven't, repeated this at all very little because you don't get credit for carlos rodon it's great that he is finally being the guy you thought he was when you made him a first round a high first round pick years ago absolutely but at best that's just okay you get your own credit you, you now you have a first rounder uh, fulfilling cy young run this is amazing and wonderful you know the credit restored not new credit right uh, you know the whites i can't think of the last time they've pulled off a move like that where it's like wow they took a guy off of the pittsburgh scrap heap or the tampa right. scrap heap or made some weird deal that didn't seem like much at the time but a year later holy cow it blew up into something big yeah and it, it does make you wonder if the Sox have it in them and if it's almost like they want to spend like those small market teams as as mm -hmm. we've visited many times probably already in the short life of the believe in white Sox podcast but then they want to have an, a chip or an arrogance like a big market team like now we right. don't need to do any dumpster diving we don't need to uh, sift for any little little tiny tiniest pieces and, and grains of gold because we're in chicago uh i don't know we, have... we sort of got a nucleus the windows open yeah you got a scratch just uh I mean, I, I, I know a lot of us and, and, and you and I included, I think, have been sort of uh, beating the drum of how crucial it is when we're in a contention window, those 20 through 26 positions on the roster. And you don't want to think it's a big deal because, no, it's not as important as having your mashing first baseman or your right. ace pitcher. But, man, those those bench roles are huge. And the fact that we've got I, – I, I, I don't know if there's anyone – beyond this even in the lineup is not inspiring so certainly no. the bench and the minors is not inspiring it's been yeah. great that we've been able to bring guys up like like a gavin sheets who's been doing very well this isn't some sort of weird well like pfft. there's been times where the Sox certainly when they weren't in a window of contention uh where they brought guys up because it's just like well it's his turn or it's he's put the most yeah. time in for charlotte so yeah right. let's bring them up uh, it does seem to be certainly more merit driven. The fact that you could have argued, geez, why not Jake Berger instead of uh, Gavin Sheets? I mean, the fact that there's even that discussion is it's inspiring, you know, yeah. thank goodness. But on the pitching side, you wouldn't get that. Even on the relief side, 
It's been like, he okay, um, Zach Birdie, sure. He pitched last year. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, uh, we don't want Ronaldo Lopez anywhere near this roster. So, mm-hmm. okay, Jimmy Lambert this time to, yep. to take a starter or fill in as a guy. And it's sort of like this default thing. And that is not a contention window team. We're not talking no. about, this isn't the 12th injury. You know, right. in some of these areas, this is like they needed a spot guy to start a game and they didn't have anybody. Exactly. Yeah. And they're just like. And, and we're only in June. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's like it's just like we're not even that far into the season, and it's just it's going to pile up, and you know that's why, even in terms of just getting a look and seeing how guys fit in on the roster, because I I look at Adam Eaton and I'm just like, you know, I. I understand now what his supposed role is on this team. I don't agree with it, but I get what his purpose is and that's fine. But he doesn't move all that well anyway. And I, you just watch every time he reaches up for a fly ball or every time he slides hard into second, I'm just like, those knees are not going to last forever. Get him some rest so that you can save him for the playoffs, which is when all of these intangibles that he offers are really going to come into play anyway. See, Tommy, this is why you're my partner, because I don't even know what Adam Eaton's role is. So I need you to tell me, my guess would be it's to lecture guys when they swing on three. Oh, uh, is that it? Or is there actually another role that he has, Tommy? Well, if, if you're Kenny Williams, he offers the red ass that the White Sox needed so <laughs> desperately and lost with AJ Przinsky. And God knows that that's why the White Sox didn't win between Dad. 2005 and 2005. I was just going to say, it'd be simple. Let's just even say it's the last decade. <laughs> Boy, the last decade could have been a lot easier. We could have just found a bunch of red ass guys. Exactly. And that's sort of his job. So why didn't he do that? Right. And, and that's, that is legitimate belief is that there wasn't enough edge to the team and they needed somebody that could bring an edge. Edge comes at a pretty premium price too. I didn't realize that the like the per war, the millions per <laughs> uh, 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 grit grindy war was as it, it big. adds up like on the 10 on million the per yeah. Now, <sighs> now you understand Bauer's contract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, oh my. Uh, okay, we've talked about the current team. Now I'm going to hit you with a couple. Uh, uh, now it's, a, it's a, a little bit of a free play in the podcast. And I want to know, we talked about our first White Sox games, I believe, mm-hmm. last podcast. And that just went over like gangbusters, Tommy. I got to tell you, the, <laughs> the listenership hit the root. And I think they it loved spiked it. during that time. So let's uh, double down on that. Can you tell me, I didn't even give you this beforehand. So this is a tough one, too, because I don't even know if I have the answer yet. So I'm going to make you answer first. What was a favorite your the favorite game you've ever been to oh okay that one i do have an answer for oh good um i have, i have to look up the date of the game but it was the white Sox against the cardinals um it was when the Sox scored like 24 runs it was like 24 to 6 yeah. or, or something insane like that and of course, because Tony LaRussa is in every story. <laughs> yeah. It, it was against Tony LaRussa. Mm-hmm. He got pissed off because he thought that the Sox were stealing signs mm-hmm. when, as somebody that was at the game, all of the pitches were down the middle. Like, and the wind was blowing out and it was a hot summer night. So, I mean, it was just home runs were everywhere. That was the biggest laugher that i'd ever been to and it was it was a fun game tommy i was at that game too oh yeah okay because that was 2006 yes it was uh they killed them twice two yep. big routes two and then big the routes. last game was a sweep and it was a one hitter the white Sox won because the one hit was jim tomey hitting yes. a home run hitting a home run yeah and and just think tommy at that time you much younger than i at the time but at that time we both went home thinking this is a world series team mm-hmm. and what is this clown team we just saw them destroy and it turned out the clown team finished two games above 500 and won the world series and, won and the we world won series. 90 games and didn't even make the playoffs yep i'm sort of glad we didn't know that then because at the time <laughs> i was like man this team is just i thought the they chain. were i thought they were 
completely poised for another run. Yeah, it had something to do with Jason Marquis. He, I don't know if he started that game or the other route, but because uh, they just beat hell out of him, I mm-hmm. think. I mean, now, now I might be getting Cubs routes and, and Cardinals routes mixed up, but that sticks in my head somehow. In addition to chiding Albert Pujols for some reason, just because he was good, so you had to like yell at him and Anthony say L- he was yeah. on, like steroids or whatever. <laughs> but you know, I was, I was younger then. Uh, yes. Well, how about that? We're we were both at your favorite game. Where were you sitting? I was down the uh, left field line. I was in the left field bleachers. Well, I tell you, we could, yeah. maybe we, we could maybe exactly. we both were, were, we did an air high five. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, there are a lot of games that I would call favorites. Of course, I was lucky, very, very fortunate enough to see all of the playoff run in 2005 um, in some really nice seats, uh, criticize the White Sox and even my buddy, Scott Reiford often, but Scott came through for me there and connected me and my dad with some unbelievable tickets for that right near Nancy Faust. So that's pretty sweet. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so it's hard not to pick a 2005 game, but I will say uh, a game with my wife, a spontaneous game, the blackout game. Oh, that nice. Was, uh, I was, a- I was, I, I did. I, I almost went to that game okay. and I, I, cause I got, my friend got tickets for it and said that they were like hey i'll buy an extra ticket for you completely ditched me and oh. I was, <laughs> so this so was turned into a not favorite game. i was like i was scrambling to try to get tickets for it because i had to oh. go so i just i ended up going to a, a a friend's place and we had like a huge blackout party to you know watch the game and and everything but I can only imagine what the energy was like at that game. Yeah, that was so, it was so, I mean, obviously the black, that was such a different, um, just a, such a different vibe. You're not used yeah. to necessarily, even, even coming off of the 2005, 2006 season where you're used to seeing full, full ballpark, you know, the 2005 uh, playoff run had those goofy thunder sticks and there's yeah. some other thing that was way, I don't know, Homer Hank or some, some nonsense. The fact that they came up with this cool idea and, and came up with it so spontaneously, I think they were literally just, they were just like black towels. There was no mm-hmm. branding. It was just no. like somebody went to bed back. Here's the, the towel. Yeah. Like, like stole out the bed, you know, like knock, just knocked over a semi truck and said, yep. we just taking these. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they left like a, a $10,000 bill, you know, on <laughs> exactly. the yeah. and said, we're going to hand these out at the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, of course, obviously the nature of the game, the, uh, you know, the, the, the home run, John Danks, uh, you know, and just stirring pitching performance, the throw out, the, the throw, one great yeah. memory of Ken Griffey as a White Sox player throwing out. And <laughs> when he wasn't and, napping, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, AJ Pruszynski, uh, you know, so, so brassy, not just taking the hit from, I think, with Michael Kadire, but then yep. showing him the ball. Showing him the ball. Yep. <laughs> I love that rascal. Uh, my wife calls him the Campbell Soup Kid because I guess he sort of looks like a Campbell Soup Kid. But boy, he's a Campbell Soup Kid. You don't want to turn your back on because he'll punch you in the back of the head. I yeah, like exactly. Uh, so that's, I guess that's the one that maybe uh, uh, comes to mind for me. Uh, you know, among many, and I'm sure you have many as well. It's funny that you came up with a game because uh, um, just on, on Southside Sox again, where we write, so we're going to bring it up often. Uh, that game's come up just recently and I forget even the context of it, but uh, that's been up in the comments and, and people were identifying uh, the weird one hitter game to finish yeah. up that series. And then the fact that the first two games, I don't know, it was like a combined like 30 to it 10. Like, it was just a ridiculous Yeah, it was really away. insane how, how, cause I think at that point in time, I mean, the Sox were just winning series right mm-hmm. and left and just all routes and they just steamrolled St. Louis in the, in those games. Every time a team, a Chicago team, like wins a title, makes a push. And, and I guess you can't really count the Bulls in that because they had such a nucleus. You, you knew you could count on it. But the Blackhawks, I'd say, and any winning White Sox team, and I assume this even extends to the Bears, though I don't really pay attention to the Bears any longer. Every year, the next year, you think, okay, was that? Is that the, real? The, the, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. The, the team, you know, you, you always have this one, okay, is this? is Joe Creedy's he beginning a hall of fame career or is this his one season? You know, are these, mm-hmm. is this all made up of career years? And at that point in 2006, you, you, it was enough to think, Oh, wait, hold on. Jose Contreras is never going to lose again. 
yeah. McCready is beginning a Hall of Fame career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as it turns out, we know now, you know, a lot of those things ended up happening. But at that time, it was still like, you know what? This isn't just, this isn't a one-hit wonder. This yeah. isn't even like 85 Bears, which was by no means a one-hit wonder, but uh, sort of in the record book turns out to be. Uh, and, you know, you could believe you could go home from that game. Again, me and you, Tommy, went home and said, man, the world. you're like thinking, how do I get World Series tickets? And I'm thinking, yeah. man, I wonder if I can, you know, use some contacts to get some great tickets again. Because, man, that was sweet, even though it's going to be boring by now. It'll be the second <laughs> World Series run. But, yeah, a lot of things changed. Man, things what a year. come at you fast, right? <laughs> what a year. God, 90 wins. Oh, my God, what a year. Uh, okay, my other question was because we're music guys. I know you you are, and I'm a late bloomer on this question, but this is an easy answer. It's not going to be a hard one for you, but uh, as I guess we're winding up this record-breaking Believe po- Believe Network podcast. Who knew a record-breaking podcast would be the Chicago White Sox podcast? But I'm here to tell hey. you, listeners, all of you out there, and I can't even necessarily count each one of you individually, but close. Uh, it's true. I would not lie to you on the Believe in White Sox podcast. Uh, the question is first concert first concert oh wow all right this this one's probably going to surprise you (laughs) um the first concert that i went to and i kid you not was a puff daddy and family concert at the all-state arena and it was of course because i was excited to go because i wanted to see notorious big but it was shortly after Mm. he was killed um but i did get to see uh buster rhymes uh lil kim like you know looking back on it now it's like a who's who of basically Mm -hmm. everybody that was like in that puff daddy entourage and i had no concept of like how big that was at the time because you know back then it was just kind of pop music and Mm -hmm. nobody really paid that much attention to it but i've talked to friends about it like looking back on it and they're like oh my gosh everybody was in this concert how did like how cool is that i was like yeah i didn't really realize that at the time but in retrospect yeah it was very cool but that was my first concert um it was a absolute mess as you would probably expect it to be (laughs) and I was there with my dad so hi dad and um yeah my dad has always been um he is he you know all at the same time he's a hard ass but at the same time he loves like just seeing different music Mm -hmm. experiences and, and figuring out like what's out there um, even though he'll just go be, and be like, yeah, that's not real music. Right. I'm going to go listen to, you know, Miles Davis now. Exactly. But yeah, we've always gone to concerts together because it, it's just, it's always been like, I think a really interesting experience for him just to see just how much in some ways things have changed, but then in other ways, like things are very much the same. So if you go to, a you know dave matthews band concert it's just basically like you know probably like what a fisher grateful dead concert is like Mm -hmm. where it's just a communal experience Mm -hmm. and he thinks that that's just the coolest thing ever but yeah that was my first show that is pretty terrific because i you know my dad has got half of that uh he's he's got the hard ass (laughs) the openness no so that's pretty cool that he can say like you know this isn't my thing but yeah all right you know and now was was that an age where you needed to be accompanied or or, or should have been or it's plausible should have been yeah yeah so i mean that helps too i guess he's like well he, he really wants to go to this show and you know i'll go along with him and i have apparently set up a bit of a precedent it, it, yeah i mean it, this was a thing that went on so like um even in my college years like going to Lollapalooza like he wanted to go so like we'd be then this is like the Grant Park <laughs> Lollapalooza years so you know wow. he he's down there like you know we're hanging out listening to Daft Punk so I mean like it's just <laughs> this, Who knows this to is Pops what he did. you know you're listening because you're one of the, exactly. the throngs yes. who are listening to the Believe in White Sox podcast but uh Man, that is, that's really odd. Because I was just going to say, this very first one sounds pretty much like a Lollapalooza experience. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it probably had to go on, you know, I'm, I'm imagining maybe it's just, it's not quite necessarily like full sets, but there's still a lot of people to get through. So that concert itself probably had to stretch for a little bit for a first show. It, it was about two and a half, three hours. Yeah. 
That's bold. That's yeah. So all state arena is your first show. Makes yeah, sense. I, it a lot of people, you know, arena shows would be their first show. Yeah, yeah. And of course it was called the Rosemont back then, but yeah. Dating yourself, Tommy. I know. <laughs> you're, old, you're older than we all think. Your sweet sort of high voice is really throwing everybody off, you know. Well, uh, I went to, and I was sort of, so what age were you for this first concert then? 13, 12, oh, somewhere around there. Yeah, see, okay, this, this then proves what a loser I am because my first concert was, I was eight, 18. I was 18, Tommy. Okay. Uh, right before I went off to college, I went up with uh, high school buddies uh, a couple of weeks before I went off to college to Alpine Valley. To nice. See Boston. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, got my concert t shirt, got my little three-quarter cut concert t-shirt there you go third stage tour tommy not not i'm not so old that i was seeing them you know late <laughs> 70s but uh uh yeah you know it's uh was a was a show that you know touched enough you know i mean that's that's a pretty safe that's a pretty safe show i guess oh yeah and i want to say the first one should have been you too earlier that spring but my dad who again has the hard ass part down but some of the other parts not um barred me from it because i don't know I, I did some kind of mischief and that was my punishment i couldn't go to the Jeez. show i was supposed to go oh yeah and i remember even telling him tommy like i'm never for gonna, gonna forget this you're gonna pay for, you know yeah a little dramatic oh yeah <laughs> but uh uh yeah so uh you know i i, I mean, made i made that, up the that's lost kind of rough but, yeah, yeah that's right i mean you know that, that that's that's a pretty huge you know gap between you two and, and boston but alpine valley is a nice concert venue so you had that yeah you know the whole adventure you know uh, yeah i was uh i guess I, I was probably pretty innocent so yeah it was, a, it was a nice adventure and you know i made up for for lost time i i did you know i don't know if i've out pulled the tommy barbie list of shows but i you know i I was very aggressive. My wife will tell you I was very aggressive in seeing shows. And uh, but yeah, started, yeah, started real late and real uh and yeah, sort of funny. But I, you know, I figure that uh, in most people's cases, I was expecting something much funnier coming from you, especially at age 12 or 13 time after you know, oh, yeah. some crazy, like just really one-off pop thing or something. Uh, <laughs> because that's usually what people's you know experiences are. It's it like is. you went with your parents to see uh, I don't know, Glenn Campbell or 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 you know, you went to see, I don't know, okay. I don't know what the what the more modern equivalents would be, but uh, saw Tiffany at a you know at a, at a, at a shopping mall or something. But uh, I'm a little closer to, to Tiffany in the shopping mall with my with my Boston experience. My there you go, three quarter yeah. cut concert T-shirt. I was, <laughs> I was rocking. Uh, but yeah, not with my dad. No, no, no. I did see one concert with my dad. As long as we're just going to make this an exciting yeah. segment, I saw one for his fiftieth birthday. I bought him tickets and invited him down. I was still down at school uh, mm -hmm. in uh, Fort Worth in Dallas and uh, Neil Diamond. He loves nice. Neil Diamond. So I decided to take my dad to Neil Diamond, which I don't have to tell you, don't really care for. Right. You know, yeah. It's his birthday. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and boy, he had a good time. He That's kept good. punching me, not in an angry <laughs> way, but like, man, this is great. Oh this is, yeah, this is so exactly. Great. Yeah. Uh, so yes, that's the only time we ever saw a concert together. So that's a really cool experience. I doubt that that's real common. Maybe, maybe it's more common than I think, but that's, that's pretty neat that you and your dad can maybe even, maybe even still do that, but yeah, eventually, yeah. eventually you know, when there's not a pandemic. That, yeah. Right. <laughs> but right. no, I mean, that's, it's always, I, I think it's just a fun experience because it's, you know, I did something similar for my dad because I took him to see, uh, it was Kings of Leon and Bob Dylan. And I, I took him to see Bob Dylan for, for his birthday. And he just was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I had no idea he was even in Chicago. And I was like, yeah, here. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. We're here. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't snowing yet. Yeah. Yeah. Really happening. Uh, all right. Well, we'll come up with some other uh, interesting uh, music discussion in the next. I know nobody can wait. And I know you want to know like tomorrow, everybody, but it's okay. We got to play at least a series before we talk again. Maybe exactly. we'll check back in before Toronto. Uh, I know there are a couple of days off packed in the next week. So chances are we probably will sit down and talk, whether it's pre-Toronto series 
or post, we'll talk again. And of course, the overwhelming numbers and the plaudits that are going to be coming in for this Believe in White Sox podcast probably will force us, Tommy, to talk before the Toronto series. So we probably I'm, will be visiting with all of you before the next series begins. I, I, I kind of have a feeling that the throngs of people may force us to, you know, right. push up the, the date a little bit. Right. So. Maybe there'll be uh, maybe there'll be a Canadian theme to it, even though the Toronto is not playing in Toronto this year. Maybe That's it'll be a Canadian theme. Uh, well, we'll think on some stuff because we got to touch on movies too. We know that uh, even though I'm again just sort of ignorant and dumb about this stuff, uh, Tommy <laughs> Barbie, my partner here, a cinephile, uh, musicologist, and uh, you know, hey, baseball expert as well. He knows he's the Adam Eaton whisperer. So <laughs> that's why I was smart enough to tell Kenny you. Williams, you know, <laughs> that's my pipeline. <laughs> Ken, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> Let's talk soon. Uh, okay. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing this, and we know that we have you guys all have a lot of fun listening. Uh, of course, feel free to uh, send us a message and let us know types of things you want to hear. Uh, probably more from Tommy, so just you can direct it to him. It's fine. I won't be offended. But uh, you know, any any feedback you have, we are uh, we're up to here. But um, you know, otherwise, you just figure you're loving it. Uh, loving the White Sox season, of course, that is indisputable, uh, but hopefully you're also uh, loving our Believe in White Sox podcast. We will keep churning them out for you as you continue to grow in listenership and demand more and more of the delightful Tommy Barbie and his partner, some guy named Brett. That's me. And uh, thank you for listening. Tommy, thanks for joining me again. And let's do this again, maybe in just a few days. Sounds good. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.